Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, Al Martin here on Making Data Simple. Thank you, as always, for, for tuning in. I'm going to jump right in. Very hot outside. Weather's hot. COVID is still here, but I think we're, I don't know, are we progressing, guys? I don't know if we're progressing. Right? It seems like it's coming back. But anyway, I have two distinguished guests, Trent Gray-Donald, who's a distinguished engineer with IBM Data and AI, and we're going to talk about platforms, Cloud Pack for Data, Data Fabric. We'll hit it all. And then I got Dakshi Agrawal, who is an IBM fellow and CTO for IBM AI. We'll talk some Watson, uh, as well as you know how this all fits in around artificial intelligence or machine learning, whatever we want to talk about. That, that's what we do here. Uh, I have to tell you guys, before I get started, the reason you're here, well, I'm a fan. Trent, you were on my team previously. Uh, I think very highly of you and great to finally be face-to-face or at least on the podcast. We're face-to-face, but nobody will be able to see that. <laughs> You also have another fan, guys. So somebody reached out to me and said, you've got to get Trent Gray Donald and you've got to get Doc Me on. Here's what they say. I think this is the best introduction I can give you, but I'll turn it over to you guys in a second. They said, uh, hey, you got to get Trent Gray Donald on after a cloud pack for data ships. This guy is a brilliant guy in the middle of everything important in data and AI, super strategic. Some things not announced, some things announced. Yeah, it's going to be IBM focused today, listeners but this should be good. And then for you, Dakshmi, just got promoted to CTO of AI for IBM. Brilliant. Apparently your fan loves to use brilliant. Both of you guys are brilliant. Full of amazing stories, both client stories as well as innovation stories. But today I'm gonna do this in like two parts. We're gonna do our usual style of tech and leadership. We're gonna start with tech and we'll probably do a two-parter. But again, the technology discussion around hybrid cloud data fabric IBM Watson, and then we'll go into leadership. Anyway, welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Very good, thank you. Very uh, humbled to uh, get that kind of praise. but uh... <laughs> That's what precedes you. Thank you guys for being here. So I'm going to start with you, Trent. First of all, you're the man with three names. We've worked together in the past. I never asked you about your three names. you got to tell me about your three names. <laughs> uh, I it's not my parents. It's actually my paternal grandfather decided that uh, he was going to fuse the names together. And then it just sort of stuck from there. If you go back many generations, there's a Gray side and a Donald side, and they became the Gray Donalds. That's well before my time. So is this like great grandpa stuff or great, great, great? Or how far does it go back? Uh, great. Singly great. Singly great. Does it come with like some kind of uh, move over the pond? I mean, from like the UK or from England or, or no? They originally was British Isles, and but a lot of the family has been in Canada for many generations. I can't remember exactly where people were when it happened. Okay. Fair enough. You're in Ottawa now, though, right? I am physically in my basement in Ottawa, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all, I'm in my basement, too. That's why you have to look. We're still in COVID land. But, hey, tell us a little bit about your experience, what brings you here, and then I'll cover Doxme in just a minute. My history is actually uh, slightly different in that I actually spent the first 16 years of my career working on uh, 
managed language runtimes, so Java virtual machines, Smalltalk virtual machines, and then I, I switched over into the the data and AI universe, and have been working on uh, Cloud Pack for Data and its predecessors for the last many years. Keep my hand uh, busy in with all the different aspects of what it takes to build a comprehensive data platform. Nice, It'll put you right in there. Sounds good. All right, Dakshi. You're the newly promoted CTO of AI. So what'd you do deserve that? Then you must have done extremely well. Tell us about that. Well, uh, you know, it just all happens. You know, uh, I joined IBM right out of my PhD. I joined in IBM research and uh, there I got opportunity to work on a number of uh, innovative things, uh, bring those innovations into products, uh, work with various universities and so forth. Then I moved into software development. Uh, I worked in software development, but also along the way worked uh, very deeply in some services engagements, then moved over, uh, dabbled some in sales. And uh, here I am for last five, six years, I've been working in AI and here I am. All right, well, welcome. it's a pleasure to have both of you. I don't always have three people, we, we've done it before. so. We'll try not to step on one another as, as we go. So the reason you guys are, are both together today is, you know, look, uh, you're right. Part of the AI ladder is, you know, is leveraged through Cloud Factor data, microservices architecture, uh, you know, OpenShift being a superpower underneath. But back to AI, you know, Watsonton has become, I don't know what the, you know, the name is just uh, synonymous with it. It's a keyword, but people are trying to determine now what it means underneath. So my question, uh, Dakshi, is AI anywhere? What does that really mean? Why is that important to the listeners? I mean, I get it that you can use AI anywhere. That would be important. But on the other hand, why is it? One thing is just, you know, uh, requirements that our customers bring. If AI can only run in a particular cloud, then there are all sorts of issues like regulatory issues, data sovereignty issues, privacy, gravity, data gravity, movement of data that becomes expensive, security issues that come from moving around this data. So that's why it's important that your AI runs where data is, as opposed to you having to bring data where your AI is. So that's uh, point number one. Point number two, like, okay, what's under the hood here? Under the hood is nothing but our magic powers of uh, Red Hat OpenShift and uh, our hybrid cloud platform. And that's how using cloud satellite, using uh, Red Hat OpenShift, we, we make our AI available uh, anywhere. But can't other competitors say that as well? Uh, sure, uh, they could say if they put that effort of uh, of well, being they have that capability today, or you say no, they don't have the capability. No, no, I, I would say categorically no. Uh, they don't have that capability today. Yes, there are cases where maybe a fraction of it under certain conditions. If you buy uh, exactly this particular hardware stack, or if you uh, or if you use. Uh, under some constraints, maybe they can make it available in some cases, but definitely promise of uh, Watson is that it runs on any cloud. It runs on any cloud. It runs on your on-prem and it runs on whatever is available there. 
as opposed to imposing a number of constraints uh, on you. Can you expand upon that, uh, Trent? One of our fundamentals here is that, yeah, we run both as what I call as software and as a service. And our goal is to be delivering pretty well everywhere, right? Whether it's IBM Cloud or the other major cloud vendors or software on-prem, that's important. So we have to be where people want to be. That's important. And in some of the opinionated competitor universes, it's you, you've got to bring your data to us. And that makes it difficult, uh, not least a, a physical, holy cow, how do I get the data there problem, but also there's compliance and regulation and security and any number of other aspects that are the details that people don't see in the high-level product pitch, but really hurt when it comes to doing it in reality. Doesn't the ability to be supported on any cloud, on-prem, make our development extremely difficult, maybe more difficult than those that are you know, using one platform, we're doing all platforms. Uh, doesn't that make our, our development uh, you know, exponentially more difficult? We need to have a, a graphic of, of uh, OpenShift as the superhero stepping in here. And uh, the reality is that OpenShift helps normalize that in a major way, right? Is that a lot of the work of what's your cluster environment and all that uh, can be normalized without weakening it, right? That's part of the superpower is that if it just mushed it down to a bland, weak nothing, that would be terrible, but it doesn't, right? It allows GPUs to shine through. It allows the different size machines and capability machines come through. That's very important. It's less about the different clouds. It's more about running as a service that becomes challenging because we need to run these things at extreme scale. How do I run with hundreds of thousands of users at any time? How do I scale like that? Those are the interesting questions that uh, get me excited, right? And we look at uh, uh, Watson Assistant running absolutely amazing workloads, live call transcriptions and, and like working its thing. And these are not small, these are running at scale. So that's the harder part. And the fact that they work like that shows that we do have an architecture that scales. All right, so I'm, I'm going to come back to Dr. Yu in just a minute because I want to talk to, you know, how a client would get started in one of those four areas. I mean, just fundamentally. But before I do, by the way, I threw you a softball there, Trent. It, nicely done. You hit it, dude. That's where the superpower came in. But on the scale, I'm going to throw you maybe another softball, but I'm not going to tell you how I would answer it. The question is, is, you know, when you're talking data fabric, data virtualization has got to work. Now, in previous podcasts, we've talked about how we use compute and storage at the source, constellations, different things like that that weren't available previously. But the question to you is, I mean, I get this question a lot. Is virtualization really going to work? How, how am I going to get the performance? You even mentioned earlier, you said, hey, once you start looking at it, you may say, hey, this is expensive the way it is now. We need to move some data at a later time. What's the balance? Does it work? Or when does it not work? What you should what should you be thinking when you're doing fabric or data virtualization as a client? Yeah, so short version, data virtualization absolutely works. 
the challenge that you have sometimes with it is that data virtualization may be asked to fix what I'll call almost impossible situations, where you're basically pulling together data from different databases that have very, very different schemas where joining them together ends up being messy. So I guess the point here is data virtualization can fix a lot, but it can't fix a deeply flawed sort of data topology or data data architecture to begin with. What you'll see is those are the cases where we start saying, geez, you really need to either rethink farther back to the source or you go through DV and put it into a new place. Is, it, um, is data virtualization just a new name for data federation? Because some people would say, oh, we've been doing data federation for a long time. This is nothing new. We just wrapped it up in a fancy term now called data virtualization. I think there's a little bit to that, but I think there is still significant uh, innovation happening in the space, regardless of what you call it. And looking at how optimizations are happening and like now in 2021, there's still new technology coming out within the context, at least of, of IBM data virtualization around uh, how do we keep caches around? How do we accelerate different queries? How do we push down more effectively to the results? Uh, all these different aspects. So there is innovation, but at the same time, I want us to make sure we understand that every technology has constraints and so just like I was saying earlier, sometimes you need to materialize, sometimes you need to virtualize. Those fundamental, what I call sort of data gravity or data modeling truths still apply. Well, I think we also have more, you know, in the advent of IoT, we've got more compute and storage at the source. And unlike federations of yesteryear, you leverage those. And if you can do it in a smart way, even do like queries at the source, and only bring the source data back, you can do it in a cost performance way, unlike we've never done before. However, you're still right. There'll be times where if, uh, you know, it's like you need to put some stuff in a cache if you're doing that same query over and over and over. It'd just be smart to move some of that data. Uh, just, it's just smart business. All right, so switching over to DocSheet. All right, I talked to you about how we, you know, my question is how we get started. But I always like to keep this podcast real. So if I go through your four points, if I'm looking at AI anywhere, I get it. I do think it's a differentiation within IBM. And it's, for me, if I'm Mr. Client, I've got data everywhere. So look, that is very attractive to me. But then I'm thinking, man, now I got to lay down a microservices architecture. That could be complex. I don't know if I want to get into that. I'm going to need help with that. Number two, understanding the language of business. I'm thinking, man, I don't, I'm not sure I know where to start. Number three, you went through automation. Now, that could be attractive because if you're going to give me pre-existing applications that target like customer care, that may make it easier. And then when I think of trustworthy AI, I'm thinking, hey, you just got to make sure that I can see it. It's explainable. That's a given. Where do you fit in? Going back to where I started, how do I get started? How do I make sense of all this? The way we think of uh, AI I mean use of AI in enterprises, you could divide that in pretty much you know two categories. 
first category is uh, these experiments or new applications or new use cases. IBM has done a lot of them, 40,000 customer engagements in 20 industries since the Watson Group started. Now, what these engagements have taught us is that there are certain use cases that are quite well established and have proven uh, ROI, so no need for experimentation. And I will go back to customer care uh, in that area. So uh, customer care is a great example where, uh, a, where someone could start without having to worry about uh, laying down microservice architecture and so forth. So in the customer care area, we offer, uh, we have two offerings, Watson Assistant and Watson Discovery. Uh, Watson Assistant is a easy to use conversational AI uh, interface it provides where a business user can go in, provide their intents. In fact, for CBS, uh, we were able to roll out Watson Assistant just in uh, four weeks, uh, including uh, all the way from speech to text to integration with their uh, IVR systems to addressing uh, millions of calls as uh, vaccination uh, rolled out. So I think uh, starting with a proven use case with ROI, guaranteed ROI, is a, is a great way to start uh, on your AI journey. Uh, moving on to discovery, discovery could be used by your agents to search for answers uh, or by your uh, knowledge workers looking for certain information or making sense of data. Uh, Watson Discovery can accelerate that process uh, of going through tons of data and these examples occur in all uh, in all industries well, would you mind giving me a customer story that's a kind of a testimonial that drives this home sure yes so in in the case of watson discovery uh, example i will give is uh, that of kpmg it's a consulting firm that consults its clients about regulatory and compliance issues so as uh, their knowledge workers dig through documents that are provided by a company for auditing purposes, uh, they use Watson Discovery to accelerate this process and essentially augment their knowledge workers so that they are able to do their work more efficiently and more accurately. Because now they are able to go through far more documents than they were earlier able to go through using manual processes. That's an example of where AI can help a knowledge worker do their work more efficiently. Trent, do you have a customer use case, couple of examples that you could say that really bodies the, the data fabric you've described? Uh, sure, sure. We have been working very closely with uh, ING and what they have is they specifically have problems around data sovereignty where they have a presence in multiple countries in the world and a lot of these countries now have very strong data sovereignty laws. And so while they need to, they have a whole bunch of data scientists in the Netherlands and they want to access data from other countries in the world, but they have to do so in a safe manner that does not involve uh, breaking the sovereignty laws of the countries. So they've effectively implemented uh, data policy rules describing uh, the location of the data, the location of the consumer, and a bunch of rules that encode what data is allowed to move over what boundaries. If the data is not allowed to move unmodified, how to automatically mask it. So we've developed uh, a series of technology which has been 
actually in open source now, renamed recently to something called uh, uh, Fibric. And it enables and helps intermediate those conversations. Data scientist needs the data, data's over there, goes through the engine, may involve some uh, data movement, data masking, data transfer, uh, while staying in compliance with the laws. And they're very excited about this because it allows them to move much, much faster than the historical pick up the phone, ask somebody in the other country to do a thing, put it on this site and, and move it over. That's a big, pretty big deal. Just to give another example of uh, Watson being used, uh, a, a proven use case for Watson, that's in uh, assisting maintenance workers. So in many industries, what you would find is that there is a maintenance request. In this particular case, these are airlines. So as the plane lands, uh, there might be some maintenance request, either input automatically by the system or by the staff or by customer complaints. Now, those need to be fixed uh, in many cases before the plane can turn around. Now, when the maintenance crew comes in, they diagnose the situation, then look at the situation. Now they need to know what's the maintenance process. And it's in those times that Watson can help maintenance worker achieve superpowers because now they have access to all the past maintenance records, all the past knowledge, what worked, what did not work, and what was the process followed in successful repairs. So now they can get assistance from Watson and retrieve those proven maintenance methods uh, very unique to the situation and follow those with confidence knowing that these worked in past. So that's one example which is used in uh, fixing complex machinery essentially, aircrafts, uh, oil rigs and so forth. Very nice, good example. So I, I do have a couple questions to on leadership before we adjourn. Anything that you guys didn't say or want to say either on data fabric Trent, or on Watson AI, Dr. I think given a pretty good summary from a data fabric perspective. Yeah, I would say same for Watson. Just remember four differentiators, uh, AI and UAI. <laughs> we got um, it. Understanding language of business, automation, and trustworthy AI. All right, two simple. So I'm going to pivot just a quick on leadership. A lot of our, our listeners love to hear about how you got to where you are today. So I'll, I'll start with you, Doc Sheet. How did you get here? I mean, how does one get to be a CTO and, and an IBM fellow? What's the criteria? If you're going to give somebody advice, what would that advice look like? Well, there are different styles of leadership, but what I would say is that, you know, uh, I became IBM fellow all the while having fun. So <laughs> there is a, not a single day in office not a done. single day, not one day. That not you one day. Really? Uh, maybe there were, uh, maybe there were, but I have forgotten about all of them. Okay. Uh, I only remember the fun ones. <laughs> so enjoying your work, you know, that's definitely, you know. Uh, what do you joy about it so much? What's your passion that, that, that aligns with your work today? Yes, it's uh, solving challenging problems. You know, uh, I was in research when I first joined, uh, plenty of uh, challenging problems. And uh, when I worked with clients, I often worked on cutting edge technology uh, in POCs of research technologies and finally seeing their transition over to products. 
seeing them scale out uh, in in a number of products uh, what was proved earlier with customers in POCs so that has been very rewarding uh, definitely uh, when it comes to leadership i would say that you know there are different styles of leadership that work in different situations uh, my style is more based on uh, empathy understanding the other side digging deep into where their concerns are putting people at ease uh, i think you know that allowed me to get insights uh, because folks who have really ears to the ground they really know uh, what's going on uh, give you insights synthesis of it and then extracting a problem that's worthy of tackling and if i solve that problem then it will solve uh, a number of concerns that folks on the ground have really you know field teams uh, ibm field teams that are dealing with client on a day to day basis they are the ones uh, who have the best insights yes it's i've made my switch to services i i <laughs> i tell you what i've held up a lot of jobs but i i've got a admiration for those that are are both doing the technical bit and also in front of clients all the time hey Absolutely. so here's the summary that i heard you say you said look find problems that you love to solve, have a passion for, you got to love it every day or get out and then leverage those around you to help solve those same problems. Absolutely. All right, I, you can't use the same answer Trent. Uh doctor, you got to go first. How did you get to your position? What is the advice you give for future technical leaders? So the first thing I've always been is very curious, right? How does it work? Why does it work? The incessant exploration and trying to understand how things work has been absolutely critical. And I think Dakshi sort of touches on that from a different perspective where it's the always have fun. And for me the the fun is sort of the curiosity aspect. The thing that got me from where I started which was as I said sort of 16 years on one team. Now of course I was growing through that. But the biggest piece of advice that I try to impart is on a semi-regular basis try to find something new in your life where i will sort of describe it as put one foot somewhere comfortable and one foot somewhere uncomfortable <laughs> because if you're standing in the same spot all the time you don't get to see the world from a different perspective so whether it's sort of one step forward while you still have safety or one step sideways whatever you want to think of it as it's really important to get that additional exposure to different areas. Now, that does not mean get a new job every 6 months. What it means is sort of figure out in your context what is the adjacency that I should learn about. Right? And everybody has multiple adjacencies and it's about figuring out okay, which adjacency interests me the most. From my perspective, it's always the one that's sort of the one that I have the most curiosity about and keep moving forward from that that's one side of it the other part of maybe i'm stealing shamelessly again from dakshi here but i think being a listener the better i understand their universe the more that communication actually happens it's about empathy it's about uh, listening it's about uh, that that's how real communication happens it's not yelling ideas at each other and hoping they stick is trying to figure out how to internalize and move better together. Look, I, there's a, a good quote out there. I don't know who says it. I remember it said uh, I somebody I, well, it says 
I never learned anything from my own words. <laughs> there, there's a lot, a lot of truth to that. So, and what I heard you is is talk about be comfortable being uncomfortable, which I'm 100% behind. I think you've got to get different experiences, exposure to different areas. I got a guy that I'm mentoring right now, and he's come to me with two job roles. One is is probably his sweet spot in subscription service. The other one is in development. And he asked me what I would do. I'd say, I go to development. He goes, yeah, but this is my sweet spot. They really need me. And I said, but I'm thinking about your career path. I, I would, you know, if I'm you, I'm just, you asked me, I would, uh, I would, I would head into development because you've not done development before. And to your point, I mean, it's, I, I think it's so hard for some people. He's like, well, all right, I'm going to go to the subscription role and I'm going to do that a couple of years and then I'll go to development. I said, well, you're telling me that I, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen. And uh, I'm just telling you my advice is to do the opposite. I've been developing my whole career and I took services for the same reason. And I've learned a ton. It's been very painful. <laughs> but you know what? I've learned a ton. You guys have been great. I appreciate the, the conversation that, that we've had today. Thank you, Trent. Thank you, Doc Sheep. Great discussion. You know it's going well when, when you're at, you know, right at the end of time and, and you know, you, there's more questions to, to ask and answer them. So, I appreciate you guys being on here. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. And listeners, as always, hit me on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Uh, rate us on your favorite podcast. Let us know how we're doing. You know, we listen. That's how we bring the podcast uh, guests on. So thanks again. See you all later. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.